Uh, uh, please turn with me in your Bibles to um, the book of Colossians, please. Uh, for those of you that are visiting, we are doing a study <clears throat> on the supremacy of Jesus. Uh, and uh, we're looking in particular at the book of Colossians. And uh, it's been a great joy preparing. And I really trust that you're going to, as we do this, you, you're going to fall more and more in love with Christ. That you're going to see Him for who He is in all of His glory, uh, all of His majesty, all of His power and that you would grow in your love for Jesus. Uh, and so this morning, I'm going to look in particular at uh, the second half of the first chapter, which really talks about the prayer that Paul prays for these amazing people at the Colossian Church. But just to refresh your memory and give you a tag from last week, here we go, all right? Just remember, this church was not planted by Paul. This church was planted by a guy called Epaphras, Epaphras was part of the church at Ephesus. Have you got the map there for me, Andrew? Thank you. Um, uh, Epaphras was, uh, was uh, part of the church at Ephesus, as you can see, just there on the west uh, uh, of the Asia Minor region there. And um, it's, it's, it's most likely that he was the one that went and planted the church. Paul had never visited the church in Colossia. So he's writing as an apostolic father to this church. He's writing to remind them of who Jesus is. And why he's doing that is because uh, in, in the second chapter we're going to see that there was, a, there was a kind of heresy that had come into the church, which was a combination of different things. It was a combination of people valuing wisdom and earthly wisdom above Christ. It was a, it was a kind of mishmash of tradition, Jewish tradition, uh, earthly wisdom. Um, it, it talks about a desire to worship angels, these kind of strange things that have begun to infiltrate the church. And so Paul writes, and he just reminds the church, he says, I want to I paint this picture of Jesus that is going to absolutely inspire you and remind you of who, the fullness of who Christ is. And that's the reason why he's writing. He's writing to try and inspire them to see Jesus for who he is. And so my desire in our preaching team, our desire is to help you to see the fullness of who Jesus is in your own life. Not in an academic way, not just so that you can have some spiritual knowledge, but so that that spiritual knowledge will radically transform your own life. The way that you live, what you value, what you focus on. That's what Paul is trying to do. And I'm hoping as we go through this um, book together, that you are going to be able to see that in your own life, that you're going to truly, truly understand who Jesus is, what He's done for you, and what that means for your life. Amen? So someone said to me, um, uh, do, I, do I mind if, if people agree when I preach? I don't mind, all right? If you want to say yes, or that's good, or no, that's okay. You can express yourself if you'd like to uh, do it while I preach, all right? Um, so we're going to read Colossians chapter 1. And verse 9, it's up on the screen for you if you don't have your Bibles, but if you do, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, which says this. And so, Paul speaking, obviously, from the, the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God may you be so you may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light he has delivered us 
from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So last week, uh, if you remember, I focused on the first half, the first three verses of this chapter, and we looked at three things in particular. We looked at Paul's gratitude, his overwhelming sense of gratitude for this church, and he, he rejoiced in their faith, in their love, and in their hope. And remember I said to you that's like a, a triad in our lives, a triad of attitudes in our lives that help to motivate our lives as Christians. How, how do we live? Well, we live by faith, we live with love, and we live with hope. These are the three things that Paul mentions all over the New Testament that work together. They are a beautiful thing in our lives, faith, hope, and love. And so he's so grateful to God for this church uh, in, in Colossia because he says, of all the things, it wasn't the revival that happened through you in Asia Minor necessarily, but what was so amazing about this church is that they were famous for love. They were famous for love. Throughout that region, Paul says, Epaphras came and spoke especially to us about your great love in the Holy Spirit. And so I asked you last week and said, well, what do you think revival should be? And for me, it is certainly people being saved and signs and wonders and healings and all those things. But the underlying thing that births all of that is the love of Christ in our hearts for Him and for each other. And when the love of Christ is flowing in our lives, then we see revival come. Then we see people saved. Are you with me? And so that's what I tried to encourage with um, last week. And uh, we finished by looking at this amazing, uh, joyful memory of Paul as he thinks about the power of the Holy Spirit in Asia Minor and all it did, and that these people were famous for, the, for their love. And so this morning, what we're going to look at now is uh, his kind of focus is turning from thanks and, uh, uh, for these people and gratitude for them to what he prays for them. And so he's, he's beginning to focus now on requests of prayer for this church. And because they'd come to this genuine faith, he, he's taken a, a deep concern in his heart for them. And he simply says at the very first verse there, From the day we heard, we have not ceased praying for you. And I'm sure they would have been encouraged with that. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to know that people are praying for you. Uh, we, we had a leader's time yesterday, and at the end of the leader's time, people prayed for us. And it was so encouraging for us just to know people are praying for us. That, uh, and I, I would imagine that uh, for all of us, it's, a, it's a, such an encouraging thing to know that others are praying for, for us as, as individuals. And I trust that something of our church family, we would be most concerned to pray for each other, to, to lift each other's arms and encourage each other. This is what Paul, Paul did as the, as the apostolic father to this church. He was most concerned to pray for them. And so I want to encourage you with that, uh, that we, this morning we can learn some things together from Paul, how he prayed, so that we can learn to pray like that ourselves. All right, so I'd like to focus on some very simple things this morning, and one in particular at the end, but uh, I've got eight little things about prayer that I'd like to um, share with you this morning. So the first is quite simple, like Paul, you and I need to be people of prayer, all right? We need to be people of prayer. And when I say that, I'm not talking about being religious, all right? I'm not talking about making a big show of your prayer. I'm not, I'm, um, I was um, looking at uh, an article this, uh, this morning, not this morning, this week, which I found really interesting. It was a guy saying, how much should we Instagram? 
You know, this is the media generation. And as a church leader, I am fascinated by how many other church leaders Instagram everything. The size of their meeting, the size of their prayer meeting, how many people came, how, how many people did this, how many people did that. It's like this kind of subtle boasting without really boasting. And, and what I'm trying to say is, I'm not saying we mustn't use social media. What I am trying to say is this. There's a, there's a whole lot of people that are very religious in the world, and they want to show people that they are religious. And when Paul says that he wants us to be a prayerful people, he's not talking about being prayerful in a public religious way. What did Jesus say? When you pray, shut your door and speak to your Father in heaven and ask Him, and the prayers in secret He sees in heaven. When you fast... Don't make a big show of it. Don't go around like dragging your heels and say, oh, I'm fasting, I'm fasting. Can you see that I'm fasting? No, wash your face. Put oil on so that no one knows that you're fasting. And what you do in secret, your Father in heaven will see. When you give, don't make a big show of it so everyone can see what you give and how much you give. Do it in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So as you do in secret, your Father in heaven sees and you store for yourself treasure in heaven. Are you with me? And so he's not saying in a religious way, be a prayer that everyone can see you praying. He's talking about a conscious fellowship with Christ. He's talking about a daily walk with Jesus, the king of the universe that we talk to in secret because we know the way has been made open by the blood of Jesus and we can have fellowship with our Father in heaven in our car, at work, at home, at university, simply speaking to him in a conscious way, inviting him into our lives that our lives are one with him moment by moment, day by day. Paul is saying, I want you to pray like that. Consciously, a relationship with Jesus, moment by moment, day by day, in the office, <laughs> at school. I'm frothing again. It must be this beard. I seem to froth every week now. Joyfully, confidently approaching God because of what Jesus has done for us. The reason that we break bread together is because we want to celebrate in a simple way what Jesus has done for us. Not in a religious way, in a reverent way certainly, but in a very simple way to celebrate the relationship that has been made possible with our Father in heaven because of the blood of Jesus on the cross. So Paul is encouraging us. We need to be people of prayer, but not religious prayers. Those that are prayerful, those that are, have a conscious fellowship with the Lord, those that are in a daily way walking with Him and making Him part of our lives. That's the first thing I'd like to say to you. Secondly, if you look carefully at these verses, you can see there's a logic to what Paul says, and we can learn from that. And I, I hope this helps you in terms of how you pray. The first thing, they're going to come up on the, um, on the screen. The first thing that Paul says he prays for these people is that they might have spiritual knowledge. He's not just saying, I want you to have earthly wisdom. I want you to kind of learn from uh, Tony Robbins, you know, on, on how to be a very positive person. I want you to go and do some self-help courses uh, and go to Waterstones and take the best books on self-help and really learn about that stuff so you can be a better person. He's saying, no, the, pl the place that you start as a Christian is you ask God for spiritual wisdom. You come before Him and say, Jesus, I, I am weak. I, I can't do this life without you, but I need spiritual knowledge. I need that knowledge from heaven to come and transform my life. And you ask for it. That's the place you start. Jesus, I need you. And then he says, 
We ask for the practical application. The, the first part of that is verse 9, if you're looking, following me in your Bible. And then in verse 10, he asks for the practical application. He's saying, Lord, give us spiritual knowledge, but we want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So he's saying this, this knowledge, this spiritual uh, revelation that you have, it must impact and transform your life so that you walk in a way that is worthy of Jesus. It's very practical. It's not all just spiritual. This spiritual stuff needs to come and transform inwardly so that we walk in a way that is worthy of Jesus. Are you with me? And I love Paul's humility. He's saying, God, give me spiritual knowledge. I want it to transform my life. And then, then the great apostle Paul, the, the one who has done more than any other person in the history of, besides Jesus, of implanting churches and, and seeing an amazing transformation, what does he admit? He admits, I am weak. He admits, we are weak. He admits that we need help. And he says, verse 10, may you strength, be strengthened with all power. Why does he say that? Because he knows we are weak. I don't know if you like me, I find prayer really, really hard. Do you all, okay, so let, let me just be a little bit naughty. So all of you in this, in this auditorium find prayer really easy. You, you find it really easy to get up in the morning or wherever it is to make it a priority. None of you, when you are praying, your mind suddenly wanders somewhere else. None of you. Is it only me? Okay, it's only me. Isn't it true? Prayer is hard. Come on, guys. Why do you think Paul says we need help to pray? God, give me your strength. Help me. Because it's hard to pray. It's hard to focus. It's hard to set time aside and just give our hearts for that moment to the Lord. Come on now. That's why it's called discipline. It's a spiritual discipline. It's hard, but it's possible. <laughs> and it starts with admitting, Jesus, I am weak. And to do this well, I need your help. Please help me. I need supernatural strength right now. Fill me with your power so I can do this. All right? Paul does. If it's good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. <laughs> All right? And he prays, God, help me. Fourthly, he also is very wise. Do you notice that? What does he say? He says, he says that there are going to be some things that are going to be challenging for us as we live our lives as Christians, and we're going to have to need to persevere through those things. But notice what Paul says. He doesn't just say, I'm praying that you can get through this stuff and just survive. Man, if you get through life and you just survive, you've done well. No, what does Paul say? He says, I, I pray for you that you might persevere with patience and joy. My, that is a radical thing. That is completely radical that you might persevere through these difficult things in your life that come upon you. You're not even looking for them. Remember, James says you are blessed when you fall into trials of all kinds. The word is peripipto. It's like you're not even looking for it. It just happens in your life. You were just walking along, and suddenly this thing, boof, in your life, and you've got a struggle, and you weren't looking for it. You were doing your best. And James says, blessed are you when that happens to you. Why? Because through that you learn perseverance and you learn joy and you learn the, the God, God of the universe is forming himself inside of you. Paul is saying the same thing. He's saying actually when some difficult thing happens in your life, there's a beautiful thing that the Holy Spirit does so that you don't just survive, but that you can persevere with joy. That is a radical thing. The world does not live like that. It's possible to live like that with the power of the Holy Spirit transforming your life. 
You know the story of Matt, our son, with the brain tumor that he had. Man, that was a difficult time. It's still a difficult time. But we've been able to learn to persevere. And something of joy is beginning to transform our lives. Are you with me? I'm not just preaching theory. I, I'm, I, this is, for me, it's been a very real thing. How do you persevere with joy? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Who makes it possible? As we ask, as we say, Jesus, we, we, we know we're weak. We know we need your help. And we're asking, help us now to persevere with joy. And so that's what Paul is saying. And so I want to say, I know that there are some of you here this morning that need to hear that for your lives. Jesus is praying for you. Your friends are praying for you. There are perhaps difficult things that you might have to go through this year, but God wants you to overcome them, not just to survive them, but to joyfully overcome them by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that also happens in church community where people link arms and link hearts and link hands and say, I'm with you. I'm standing with you, man. I, in good times and in bad, I'm on your shoulder. I'm here. I'm here for you. That's how it also happens. It's not just so spiritual. <laughs> it's very practical. It says God's people draw together and say, man, I'm with you. I'm going to stand with you on this thing until we see breakthrough. Amen? And so I want to encourage you to joyfully link hands with your friends in the in church community so that we can go through trials and difficult things in a joyful way. Fifthly, do you notice that he's praying specifically for a certain kind of spiritual knowledge? He says that we might know your will, Lord. Do you notice that? It is verse 9, that you might be filled with all the fullness of knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul gets specific. We need to know the will of God for our lives. And it's important we, we, we do understand what Paul means here by God's will. And I want to look at it from two sides, from God's side and from our side. Well, from God's side, how do we get to know his will? Well, it's not a secret. It requires some work. Uh, and we can't really pick and choose how much of His will we want to follow. We, we, we get the knowledge of His will by reading, by praying, by hearing, by meditating, and by obeying what He says in His Word. So if you want to know the will of God for your life, I want to encourage you to give yourself to those things. To praying, to reading His Word, to meditating on it, to ask questions of the Lord and say, Jesus, show me your will. And He will. It does require some work. He's revealed the fullness of His will through His Word, through His church, through His Holy Spirit, and it requires some work of us to, to, to say, Jesus, help us to see the fullness of Your will. And then, from our side, from, a, from our human side, what does it mean to know God's will? Well, it means we need to truly understand this great plan of salvation that He has for us. That's where it starts. And then... To know His will means to know what is truly important for our lives. What is truly important? And by nature, by definition, we don't really have a, an idea of what God's will is. We have to be taught. We have to be humble enough to say, I need to be instructed by the Holy Spirit and, by, and other people that can help me. And as we do that, we enter into a true understanding of, of what His will is. And then we apply it personally on a daily basis into our lives. And this seems to, as I look at the New Testament, this seems to have been Paul's pattern. He preached and he prayed. He preached and he prayed. And so I want to say to you, it's a good pattern for you and I, that we preach to ourselves and we pray. <laughs> we preach and we pray. 
Do you know, Helen was saying in our leaders meeting yesterday, the hardest person to lead is yourself. Isn't that true? You speak to yourself all the time. I was just thinking as she was sharing that, you know, that's what I do on the golf course. I've noticed, uh, you know, I like to play golf. And uh, when you play, for those of you that play golf, when you hit a good golf shot, it's the most beautiful feeling in the world. But some, most golfers hit more worse shots than they do good shots. And I've noticed this. When I hit a bad shot, I can, in myself, I can say, you always do that. That's not cool, is it? That's, not, that's very negative. Or I could say to myself, I hit a bad shot and say, come on, and that's not, that's not normally the shot that you hit. Come on, you, can do be- you, you, you know you can do better than that. Isn't, isn't that true? And how often don't we speak to ourselves like that? Oh, you always do that. You always, it's the same old mistake. Or should we rather be speaking to ourselves and saying, no, I, I know I can do better than that. Jesus, you've shown me, I, I, know, I know I can do better. By the power of your spirit, you can help me. Are you with me? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All wisdom and understanding. How does this apply into my life? Sixthly, do you notice? Uh, so that all hinges on obedience, the practical application of, the, of the God's will to us. Six, our prayers are to focus on the kind of life that God wants us to live. And we see this again in verse 10. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Fully pleasing. Paul says this application practically into your life is so that you might fully please God and that you might bear fruit in every good work in your life. And so simply put, that means we, we live a life that corresponds to what we believe. And, and, and any one of us that's a disciple of Jesus, deep in our hearts, we should want to fully please Him. Uh, I don't know if you've thought about this, but do you know it is possible to live and be a Christian and not to please God? It is possible. It is possible to live as a Christian and not please God. Paul says that, especially here, so that we might know that his intent, God's intent, is that we might fully please him by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are to fully please him in integrity at work. We are to fully please him in our sexual behavior, in how we behave sexually with people, in our marriages, as single people, that our sexual ethic pleases him fully. Not just a little bit, but fully. I read yesterday, I was completely shocked. I sh- shared this with Helen. We were, I was looking on the news. There's the biggest porn provider in, 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 in the UK. Do you know how many people are signed up to watch pornography in the UK on this paid channel? Do you want to take a guess? The population of our country is about 60 million. How many do you think are signed up on one porn provider? How many? Take a wild guess. 25 million people. 25 million people are signed up to regularly watch pornography that are over 18. 25 million! It is staggering. Absolutely staggering. So what do we do as Christians? We have to live lives that, that honor God in purity in every way. Not just a little bit, in every way by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, there's my rant over, but I was, I was completely overwhelmed. And if you are struggling with pornography in this church, I want to encourage you, have the courage to speak to someone. It will destroy your life. It will destroy your marriage. It will destroy your children. It will destroy you. Sex is a beautiful, wonderful, amazing thing that God has given to people to enjoy together in marriage. Don't buy into this thing. It doesn't hurt anyone what you do. It hurts you. It hurts everybody in your relationships. 
get help. So I want to put it to you that fully pleasing God in all these areas of our lives and in a church family is honoring Him with all of who we are. And for me, this is the ABC of becoming a disciple of Jesus. How do we honor, honor and fully please God in the church? Well, we love each other. We pray. We cheerfully give our tithes and offerings. We, this is the ABC of being a disciple. You can be a believer for many, many years and not even be doing the ABC. Not even praying, not even giving, not even loving anybody. Just getting on as a Christian in your own little selfish way, doing your own selfish little thing and not blessing anybody. ABC. Come on, guys. We want to be disciples of the King. Sorry, did that come across a little bit angry? Because I wasn't trying to be angry. So this is what God, this is what uh, Paul prays for himself. And he wants to pray for these people. And he wants them to, uh, this beautiful church. And he says, I want you to live like this, that you please, fully please him. Fully, fully please God as his disciples, as disciples of Jesus. And I'm sure that Paul prayed this for many, many others. Do you notice also, seventh, what does he pray? Again, he comes back. He's a humble man. He prays, God, I need supernatural strength. Please help me. Supernatural strength. That's what he's playing. I want to ask you, what, what, what do you need in your life right now? What do you need supernatural strength for? What, what do you need supernatural strength for? Special strength. Well, Paul prayed for supernatural strength for all of those under his care. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. You know what I want to say to you this morning? If you need God's strength, he wants to give it to you. He wants to give you supernatural strength in your life to overcome the things that you, that you need to overcome. And the same for me. Will you ask him this morning? Will you ask him for supernatural strength? Will you say, Jesus, I need you. Give me strength. I'm so weak in this area. Please help me. You know, uh, Anita encouraged us in our leadership meeting yesterday to look at the book of John because uh, there's some promises in there for us. But this, John writes this amazing thing in John chapter 6, and he says, all of us, all the, everyone who calls himself a disciple of Jesus, must learn to eat and drink of Christ. Have you thought about what that means, to eat and drink of Jesus? Well, I, I, I'm not saying I have complete revelation, but I do think it has something to do with this. It's something to do with saying, I'm completely dependent on you, Jesus, for my strength, daily. That's how we eat and drink of Christ. So I'm absolutely, completely dependent on you, Jesus, in every area of my life. Help you. I want you to be my source in every area. That's what Paul prays. That's what he prays for the Colossians. He says, guys, you need, you need that supernatural strength in your life. And lastly, um, well, not lastly, but in this little section, I've already mentioned this. We are to pray for endurance in times of trouble, verse 11. To endure with joy, that's a very special thing. I've mentioned that. And then he, he says again, he kind of lands where he started last week. Remember last week he started by just absolute gratitude for these people. He, again, he lands in his prayer. He lands on gratitude. Do you notice that? We are to pray to be thankful. Verse 12. He reminds us that in all things we are to give thanks for, uh, for the, to the Father for all that he's done. And as I've tried to think about these verses to, uh, this week, as I, I've been praying and thinking about them, I, I, I feel like it's a summary for us of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. 
in this prayer, there's a kind of su- a little summary of what it means to be pr- a disciple, doing the ABCs as a disciple. And here it is. Disciples are prayerful. Disciples are spiritually wise. Disciples are full of supernatural strength. Disciples are those that endure, and disciples are those that are thankful. Yes? There's a little summary for us. So I, as, as I say that, I hope you are hearing that with grace and kindness. And I'm asking you this question as I've asked myself. And I promise you there are many, many areas in my life that I need to grow. And I'm still growing. So I don't accuse anyone. All I'm asking you to do this morning is to consider where do you feel like you still need to grow? What, where, what area is God asking you right now to trust Him for this thing in your life? that you need breakthrough in a radical way that only God can do? Where do you still need to trust Him? What is the thing that you are still needing to persevere in that you have not yet seen the fullness of what God has for you? Where, where are you still needing to persevere? Where are you still needing to show strength in your life? Where do you feel weak and you're saying, in this thing, God, can I have, please give me your strength. I can't do it on my own. Where, where in your life are you are you um, needing to be thankful? Maybe as we leave uh, and have coffee and you go away, maybe you can just take an hour later. And by the way, if you are on Church Suite, a summary of this message will go up on the web and some questions for you to think about this week. Please use that. Meditate on these things this week. Where can I learn, Lord? Where do I need your strength? Where do I need to be more thankful? Where can I grow? Help me. And why does Paul set up everything? And this is really my main sort of focus. It's not going to be a long focus, but I I, I want to focus on verse 12. Because Paul sets up this prayer, and here he says in verse 12, a most amazing thing. He gives us, Paul gives us the special reason that we need to be thankful to God. Because he says this, For our Father in heaven has qualified every believer to share in an inheritance with all of the saints. Man, this is incredible. He's praying all of these things for these people in Colossia because in the back of his mind, he's trying to get somewhere and he's trying to say, I want you to see all of the stuff for your life, what you need for your life. Why? Because God has an inheritance for you. God has an inheritance for you, for every believer that he wants you to walk in. And he's trying to get them to think about the final destination that he has for every believer. He recognizes where they are, their present situation. But he's saying, no, God has qualified you through Jesus for something that is completely amazing that should transform your life. That actually, you are not just living for now. You are living for an inheritance with all of the saints that you have a share in. Let that motivate you. Let that encourage you as you live your life. Come on. So I want to ask you, what's the purpose of your life? (laughs) What is the purpose of your life? Some people might say, well, happiness, wealth, success, that's the purpose I have. Maybe the students are dreaming of a great job that's going to release money to them for the rest of their lives, and they're going to be successful, and that's a cool thing. I'm not saying that's not a good thing. Other people, no, my purpose for my life is in my marriage or my children or seeing them thrive, and that's also a cool thing. In our culture, many people are wanting to be celebrities. They think that's their purpose for their life. Just even they get five minutes of fame on the telly. That's, that's, cool. that's good enough. And then you can have like celebrity spin-offs for the rest of your life that you once appeared on 
whatever it is. Get me out of here. What is it? Celebrity, whatever. And they make a career out of their f one program that they did. That's not good enough, friends, for the purpose of our lives. You might say, well, the purpose of life is to be saved, to find Jesus. I want to answer you, actually, I don't even think that is the entire purpose of your life. That is just the beginning. Being saved is quite easy in one sense, because all we have to do is believe by faith, and we are saved. That's what the Bible says. And yet, it's also incredibly, incredibly miraculous that anyone gets saved at all, isn't it? At the same time, and uh, that's what we learn out of um, John 6.44. It's an absolute miracle that anyone gets saved. But to be saved, in a, in a sense, is not difficult because it says, the Scripture says, you believe in your hearts that Jesus is who He says He is, and you are saved. That moment, you are transformed from one kingdom to another. So what do I say then? It's the purpose of your life. I want to put it to you that Paul says in verse 12 what the purpose for every Christian is. The purpose for every Christian is to attain in the inheritance that God has for you and for me. That is our purpose. That is what we are living for. Paul says every single believer, every single disciple has a share, a portion in the inheritance in eternity that God has for us, for every one of us that are saints. And he says what has qualified us for that is that Jesus himself has qualified qualified us to share in that inheritance. And that begins now, that begins as we live and we walk through this life, and it reaches its climax, its absolute full potential in eternity one day, but you and I get to share in the inheritance of every Christian in eternity that God has set aside from the foundations of the world. You and I get to share in that as we live our lives now. Does that not inspire you? It inspires me. Revelation twenty two nineteen says that we have a share in the tree of life, that's what it says. The tree of life in, eternity, in, in heaven. Uh, those who die for Jesus on the, in this earth, Paul says, uh, Revelation says, they have a share in the first resurrection. This is not going to be popular. <laughs> but the Bible also says those that reject Jesus have a share as well. They have a share in Revelation 21.8, the picture is a lake of fire. Unfaithful Christians, unfaithful disciples also have a share. A portion, Paul's, um, the, the, Jesus says in Matthew 24, with all of the hypocrites. You have a share with other hypocrites. <laughs> Man, is that not a little bit frightening? Jesus speaking through, the, through Matthew. There's a share for everyone. But what Paul is saying here in this amazing story in Colossians, that Jesus has a plan for you, Jesus has a plan for me, for every believer. Our future destiny has been apportioned to us by grace. I, I, can't, I can't get what is not mine that has not been apportioned to me by grace, by God's gift to me. And God has made that the same for you for in terms of His gift to you. And we don't get saved by good works, but actually the good works that we do in this life and that we give ourselves to are for a portion of that inheritance that God has for us in heaven. That's a cool thing. It doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter what you give yourself to, not because you're trying to be saved, but because God has an inheritance in store for you that He wants you to enjoy. 
store up for yourself treasure in heaven. And in the Old Testament, what was the picture of that? Well, in the Old Testament, the picture of inheritance was land. It was land. Every tribe in Israel had land. It was called their inheritance. The only ones that didn't have land were the priests. God said to them, actually, for, for you Levites, I am enough. I am your full inheritance. Uh, he said that to the priests. But every other tribe had land. And what did they have to do? They had to believe by faith, and they had to fight for that land to engage and get the land for themselves. Now, for us, it's different. For us, our inheritance, Hebrews tells us, how does it come? Does it come to us by fighting other people and saying, no, this is mine, and this is my inheritance, and taking it from them? No. This is what it says. This is how you get your inheritance. Hebrews says, we inherit the promises of God by faith and patience. Faith and patience. Faith and patience. Hebrews 6.12. Jesus has qualified us to enjoy this reward. It's based on our persistence in faith and our in, in persistence in patience. And I, I don't want to labor this too long, but I do want to make a distinction here. I'm not talking about being saved. And I think that's very, very important. I'm not talking about justification. I'm talking about inheritance. Salvation is eternally secure for us the moment we believe in Jesus. The promises of God are yes and amen in Christ, and we don't lose those promises. But we can lose something of our inheritance that Jesus has for us. When you read about in the, in the New Testament in particular about the warnings of God to us, they're never about losing your salvation. They're never about uh, if you're once a son, you're not going to be a son anymore. No, it's never about that. It, it is always about heavenly reward. It's always about inheriting what God has for you in terms of your inheritance. So we don't have to work hard for our salvation. But we do lay up treasure for ourselves as we serve God on this earth. And again, I just want to land on my good old friend Abraham. Abraham is the, is the picture of this for us. Abraham was saved by grace. He was chosen by grace. He was justified by faith. But he, he got his inheritance through righteous living, didn't he? He got the fullness of what God had for him as he lived his life by faith. And God said, this is what I want to give you. It's the same for us. By faith and patience, we inherit the promises. And Paul says that is the reward stored up for us in heaven. That is the reward. And he says it's, he uses this kind of phrase. He says it's the reward stored up for all the saints in light. In light. What does that mean? Well, I want to put it to you. It's a metaphor that simply means the rewards of final glory, the rewards, rewards of joy, the reward of honor from Jesus, the reward with fellowship from, with him forever the privilege of serving Him even further in heaven one day. And the purpose of our lives is to aim for that portion of inheritance that is ours by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to go after that with all of our hearts so that one day you and I can hear Jesus say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. That we live for that heavenly accolade. To hear Him say, well done. You've done well. Thank you. You persevered. Thank you. You preached. Thank you. You prayed. Thank you that you loved people. Thank you that you know, come and share in the inheritance that I have for you stored up in heaven. And you have a portion as you live for me. You have a portion to enjoy. Come on. That completely inspires me and thrills me. This is not as good as it gets, my friends. 
This is just the little hors d'oeuvre, this thing called life here. The fullness is coming in heaven. The fullness of what God has for you to enjoy forever with Him. Will you store up now something of that that God has for you in heaven? Amen. That is it. There's an inheritance for you. Why does Paul pray this amazing prayer? Because he wants people to understand there's something coming that is far more glorious than anything that we see now. Will you live for that in your life? Will you live for that well done? Will you live for, yes, Jesus, your hand is on my shoulder saying, well done, good and faithful one. You have served with joy and love. Amen.